Everything's a lie. Da, da, da. We're all gonna die before we say goodbye. Let's podcast. It's Dr. Tiff Fothergill and Dr. Catherine Flick for not just a game. And we've returned again because yeah. <laughs> we've we kind of got a little back. mini. Yeah, we're on a little mini hiatus because of life and technology technology and covid yeah good times basically um but yeah we're back again again and thank you tia for that beautiful introduction and thank the bare naked ladies uh second best i think uh, that's actually the best in my head for weeks now for some reason i really can't explain i think that's definitely the best podcast introduction i've heard in a really long time so i appreciate that um we're going to talk today I'm trying to come up with another one for next time. I think this is going to be a thing. I mean, we 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 did say we're going to have songs in every podcast. You know, yeah, it's true. We at one point, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I'm coming to you from very dark and dingy uh, Leicester in the UK, and it looks like it's nice and sunny where you are, Tier. It's uh, I'm very close to a window, which could. I mean, I can see why the deception of sunlight. Uh, It's not. There isn't any sun. It's very dark. uh, and I'm gloomy. in uh, beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, uh, and it's rainy. It's very gloomy. Oh, so it's a bit like being in Leicester again. It's ex- it's very like being in Leicester again, except for that the cyclists here are out for blood in the way that they just are not uh, in the UK. Um, and wow. uh, yeah, and you have slightly better poutine. Oh yes, we do. That's- but yeah. you know what? We don't have ibuprofen lysine, which sucks. And there are a number of other things we do not have. But um, we do have. Um, oh, and that, that nice that nice snack thing that you made with the um, the chocolate and like the what was it? Nanaimo like, bars. Yeah, that, yeah, those. Yeah, got those. I am on the very Yelp. same island that has Nanaimo on it. Um, oh, you're actually like on the same place where the Nanaimo bar originated wow yes, that, that i'm gonna have to make a ground. pilgrimage i'm gonna have to make yes. a pilgrimage when i come to visit Something. anyway <laughs> when, when humans aside, may travel again can you tell that tia and i have not actually talked to each other for a really long time <laughs> yes yes our apologies for the uh let's see um what shall we banter, talk about banter. what um, do you play yeah. Yeah, yeah, games. That's what we that's what we talk normally about on this podcast. I'm playing. Um, I'm currently playing Hades, which is a brilliant roguelike. Um, so I don't know. So you know, I found a funny thing on on Twitter. Someone had pointed out that Rogue itself had gone onto Steam and it was classified under traditional roguelikes, which I think is hilarious because, of course, it was. It is the thing that all of these other games are it's called genre effectively <laughs> exactly so, <laughs> so yeah so I, I think that it's quite um hilarious that it is considered a roguelike um but anyway uh hades is a quite a step up from the old uh, original roguelikes of like that used all the basically um quirky like all the ascii characters to portray everything it's a very very smooth running um kind of like an action fighter type uh what do you call it top down kind of but not quite top down uh isometric Isol- i guess is- yeah i want to say isolinear isometric is this yeah anyway isometric i think it is mm. um anyway and yeah you basically pay- play through randomly generated dungeons and you're trying to Fun. escape from hell cool and your your dad is um 
uh, what's his face? Hades. No. Oh. Yeah, I think. I, anyway. <laughs> um, and there's the a really nice little storyline. Locked in a basically. Basement. Only in ba- hell and your dad is Hades. That's exactly actually what the storyline is. Oh. I mean, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and you can pet the dog, who is, of course, Cerberus, oh, right? Um, but I think he only likes, so yeah, cool. he only likes one of his heads being pet. So that's, you oh. know. It's important to know, I mean. It's important to know, yeah. And, um, and you know, you get blessings from the gods from above the, uh, you know, in the real world, like, I guess, in the above world. The non-chthonic uh, deities. Yeah, and they're trying to help you escape for their own purposes, which Jeez. is not entirely clear at this point because I haven't really gotten – I got to Elysium, so that's like the mm. third chapter. But oh. I'm finding it quite tricky, and um, I know there are a lot of people who are much quicker at this game because I see them go past me and get the achievements on Steam in much fewer hours than I take, <laughs> but I'm enjoying uh. it this. <laughs> Um, so I do highly recommend it, actually. It's really fun to play. It doesn't mm-hmm. require much brain, and it's like a kind of hacky, slashy sort of thing, but you've got to be a bit careful because you don't want to, like, your life – there's not a lot of opportunities to kind of replenish your life, so you need to kind of right. be really careful. Conserve. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just got beautiful artwork and also one of the mums on uh, – so I'm, I tell you I joined, a like, a mum – game dev group which is really cool um one of the mums on there did some of the art for it so i'm really you know it's nice to support my friends now yeah. <laughs> as well uh, good. um anyway and uh but then i also started playing ball i've been because i thought saw Baldur's gate 3 was coming out Baldur's gate yeah. 2 has been one of my favorite games to restart playing um since i think when since it came out pretty much so that was that like early 2000s late right. 90s early 2000s something like that so i have played it ever since then and i've never finished it uh-huh. i've never really like because i think back when i used to play these games i never really i didn't have a game player mentality about it mm. and so i never really kind of went through the quests with any particular like intention i guess if, yeah. and so i'd get bogged down in the fights and they would get boring and i get stuck and i would get mad and i would rage quit and then i would lose the save file because that was how it was back then <sighs> or i'd open up the save file and i wouldn't know what the bloody hell i was doing and so oh, i yeah, have to start the, again anyway the kind of thing when i come back to games i'm like oh let's see Let, oh yeah let's finish this game that was f- the fuck would i what was i doing yeah basically where even am i (laughs) what was i doing what was my oh my god there's a reason i put myself here (laughs) yeah exactly so that's my entire life with Baldur's gate 2 so i'm now i'm pretty certain i'm now the furthest i've ever been through it um but mostly because i don't recognize any of the quests anymore but i do know that there's a certain plot point that i did get to in my previous playthrough Mm -hmm. that i haven't got to yet and I suspect it's probably because in my previous playthroughs I went th- straight through the main quest line and I didn't do any of the side quests. And now I'm focusing a lot on doing the side quests as well. So or a kind of a broader experience, a richer, yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I'm much more kind of completionist game player uh, approach to it. Anyways, but but I I'm 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 trying to kind of like I know the Baldur's Gate three like beta thing has come out now. So. I saw that and it's it's really it's interesting that you bring it up because I it's one of those games I was like, ooh, Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out. I'll have that. And I mean, I don't remember if we mentioned this on the podcast, but um I had just really enjoyed Divinity Original Sin. 
Oh, that's right. It's by the same people, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Larry and Studios, right? So I really enjoyed Divinity Original Sin. And then um, when Divinity Original Sin 2 came out, um, I immediately went out and bought it. And then I couldn't bring myself to play it because it was, and this was before the pandemic, um, too depressing. I felt like I had no agency. I was like, oh, do you want to rescue this poor creature or this person or whatever? Well, fuck you, they're gonna die. Ha ha ha, no matter what you do, everything is bad and it's dark and it's terrible. Um, and you are but a flea on the back of destiny or something like that. Um, and we, even though the game itself, like the mechanics are fantastic. Like it's so enjoyable. Like, and the the combat is is dynamic and it feels really fun. But the story just killed me um, and I couldn't play it. And I, I am not the only one. Um, there's a few people who, who've mentioned it. And like my husband also couldn't bring himself to it. He's like, no, I, it just makes me really sad. Like I can't save anyone. And I thought that's really interesting because like right now I am, I am playing games, including tabletop games and kind of working on my own campaign as, a, as an escape from terrible things right? Which a lot of people are doing right now. We've talked about this as well. And the last thing that I need is a game being like, you are in the grip of some terrible thing and nothing that you can do will change it because it removes the control that you want to get through playing a game. Um, yeah, there's, so, there's some games that works for. So like Spec Ops The Line, that's kind of the whole point of the game, right? Right. And um, But it has a very specific point to, to prove with that and mm. it does it very it it very quickly kind of gets like gets to that point if that makes sense so you're not feeling like you're putting a lot of energy in and then you find out that none of your like that nothing that you did is helpful an right yeah. so um i was therefore um you know having both of these opinions you know like that the divinity original sin 2 was um basically made unplayable by the kind of grimness um of it uh in terms of the narrative um and then uh there there was a review that came out only a, a few days ago um uh for Baldur's Gate 3 that was basically like you know you <laughs> your character and your party are insignificant and forced by circumstance to do and see awful things that they're not powerful enough to change and I was just like Ooh, that sounds... so this is a bit different from like if you see a dragon in D&D you know that it's a really dumb idea to fight it at level one right mm -hmm. is this is this kind of like different from that like yes because it, it seems like you yeah I, I don't know I mean this is um this was not a this is the one I'm thinking of let me look at it. that was an Ars Technica one um and they Send say the I'll put it in the show notes let me find it um but it says you know it's not like it's um Oh, oh, the title. Yeah, I just found it. Um, I played 15 hours of Baldur's Gate 3 Early Access and I won them back. Uh, <gasps> wow, that is quite uh, scathing, isn't it? That is. That is. Um, is it? Is it, Because, I mean, I've heard that there are some issues with like that. I mean, I, I very briefly looked, I think, at the uh, Steam comments because uh, mm. that was what I had up. And well, a lot of people say are very positive about it. Mm. Um, but th this is a site that I, I go to frequently and, and I was just like, oh, uh, oh my, that's not really what I expected. So in early access, if they're basically treating it like a, a, a charge beta, 
One of um, Michael Bay made a D&D 5e game. Oh wow. man, I'm telling you. Um, so that made me a little bit worried because th- I, I, uh, I, I don't know, because um, it would be $80 CAD um, yeah. to, to possibly want 15 hours of my life back. I don't know about you, but it's really difficult to get 15 hours of my life right now. Um, and I know that's not true. That's not just disability. That's just life right now. Yeah, uh, and I, I have about two hours a night to play video games. Right. If I'm lucky. If I'm not doing things like podcasts. Yeah, so pr- prioritization, right? Yeah, um, right. And I value our time together here. I, I really do. Of course, yeah. I'd um, much better rather do this than play video games, to be honest. <laughs> oh, oh, it's always lovely to, to be able to do this. But but I found it I found it very interesting um, that this opinion was out there because I thought, that gosh, that reminds me of something else. Oh, it's the same studio. <laughs> Uh, so it, it it made me wonder a little bit if this is a a slightly uh, a generational thing in game design where like am I just used to a more old fashioned view of things? Do I mm. you know or or is it is it something else? Um, and uh, this reviewer does men- mention wasteland which wasteland three, which is something that I am. Um, would definitely consider playing. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it, and it's, it's not the. Um, I mean, it's described as a little bit like a turn-based Fallout, um, which I, I, I might, I might play it. Um, there are a lot of things um, about it that seem appealing, like interesting ethical choices that have an impact, and those kinds of things. Um, I often find rewarding or at least interesting, but. Um, I have a hesitation about it, um, and that is that the main antagonist um, is a woman. And initially, like one alarm bell went off because it looked to me that she was, um, and her name is Liberty. Puke. Um, sorry, can't help. It's supposed to be like a commentary on America or something. Well, like- this is kind of what I thought, except for the fact that the background of this character. So the first thing that raised an alarm bell with me was that she was. Her hair and her makeup were done in a way that made me think that they were appropriating indigenous. Um, oh boy! Yep. Okay. I was just like, oh no 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 no. Um, and apparently she's not, but she is quote unquote crazy. So she's yet another one of these oh, antagonists that's just lost her women. mind. So she's just crazy. And why is she crazy? Because she's a woman. She's crazy because she's a woman who was overlooked by her daddy, who oh, spent all what? his effort on her brothers. So she's she's the main antagonist. <sighs> I was just like, is this an incel plotline or what? Like, what this is-, is this even? That's um, okay. I bet she has like particularly like when you go and fight her, you have she to has make huge sure tracts of land. No, I'll, I'm just going to say, I think if you if you have to make sure, you know, because it's like a role play game, right? You have to be be careful what time of uh, the month you go and fight her, right? Because she'll probably be stronger. She at might have point. blood coming out of her. <laughs> out of her whatever, right? Whatever. But this is the thing. And like, maybe the game's not really like that. And it's it's oh, early yet not. and all those things. But uh, I, I just kind of feel like that's that's enough baggage for one kind of yeah, because I, I think you know. I mean, I think I'll still play. I think I'll still get it. Like, because uh, I want to. I wanted to kind of do because oh, partly because okay, I'm 
anyone who knows anything about me and games knows that I'm like a classic Bioware freak, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the next generation of the Bioware uh, um, does D&D alignment kind of deal. I mean, it's not Bioware, but it's the next, like it's the next kind of generation like it's it's i want i want to see where they go with that basically so yeah. it's more for a professional interest no, I suppose, in some I'm, ways i'm very interested in uh, it, i think but i yeah. now feel like oh is this going to be is this going to be hard work to play yeah and i think that's like in these this day and age when we well, see the thing is that there's a lot of people around and probably some of our listeners are those people who have time to play a lot of video games at the moment because mm. they're in lockdown um they don't have their usual social whatevers um and they have a lot of time to do this i mean i have a small baby and it's just that just doesn't happen i mean my entire weekend is either looking you know doing things with baby or trying to sleep and no, <laughs> so it's a uh, yeah and and i mean um and you know there are lots of people that have other sorts of responsibilities right so so but but there are probably some people who like the next the thing they would love to do is to sink their teeth into a big chunky several hundred hour role play game which is generally what the Baldur's Gate franchise has been like and i mean i don't know how long the divinity games are but but what they're I think a, they're significant. Um, yeah, they're they're probably at least what eighty hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, at least. I mean, if, especially like, if like you're a very kind of thorough explorer and completionist type gamer, you would you would get you would get a lot. Um, and I would just play Original Sin like that. That would be my recommendation <laughs> um, because I, and yeah. and they're fun. And like I said, the combat is is super entertaining in the way that the elements work with each other and mm. I, mean, I mean the thing is is that I mean, I guess, never get sold let's be honest <laughs> i guess also like i mean for me um i'm also willing to overlook certain aspects of a game if there are other interesting aspects so for example like dragon age inquisition i mean the like uh, it was so clunky i mean the the way that the story was kind of put together. I mean, it's some really good story, but the way it's put together, the open world stuff in Inquisition, uh, it, like when you play Inquisition, I'm very glad I played it first because I thought it was amazing when I played it. And then I played The Witcher 3 and now I just like, I'm just like, what were they even doing? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm hoping that in some ways that, um, I mean, certainly I'll be quite, I mean, I'm usually critical of the games that I play, right? I mean, there are well, certainly... It's why we have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so maybe maybe when I think I'll wait till it's out of early access though. I, I would never I never planned on getting it in early access. And I think I'll I'll wait for it. It's a little bit like I mean, this and the other game I'm really on the fence about is Cyberpunk, right? So Cyberpunk. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the partly because okay, because obviously I love The Witcher 3, right? Mm. But I am not in love with CD Projekt Red and their um, kind of some of their design and other choices. Yeah, I'm also not in love fair. with their employment practices. So the, no. the crunch that they've been that apparently doesn't exist <sighs> yeah. at the moment that mm. they their poor devs are having to go through. And um, actually, I was one of the things I was uh, chatting with with a friend um, about crunch. Um, and it, like the idea was put out that crunch is discrimination, and it absolutely is discrimination. Yes, and I think it is that, fundamentally discriminatory. Yeah, and it, I mean, it really is only possibly doable by um, 
men who have no responsibilities, <laughs> these so other responsibilities. <laughs> many would say that this has been true of academia. Oh, it's absolutely true of it's academia. It's this idea like, well, who who runs the household? Yeah, exactly. So, Yep, exactly. And this is why in, in academia we've seen a significant drop in um, women publishing papers during the pandemic because yeah. they've had to take on all the childcare. And, I mean, I'm very lucky in that, um, firstly, we've got childcare running here, so I, I have organised childcare three three days a week. And also my husband at the moment, he is um, looking after, like he, he takes the childcare the other two days, mm-hmm. but that's partly because he's unemployed at the moment. <laughs> so right. as soon as he gets a job, though, um, you know, I'm going to have to at least pick up one of those days and it will, you know, our whole lives will change again. So it's, it's, um, well, it's very, very it's, complicated. Um, and you're quite right about the disproportionate impact and, and the intersectionality of it, but also, um, it, these sorts of things carry over into other realms. I will not mention the name of the university, but there's at least one university where, uh, when they cut, the entire English literature department. There's not a single man that was sacked. Mm, like, of course, the, yeah. the, the, it, it, it's just it's ridiculous. Was this happening in Australia at the moment as well? Oh, and it's they're cutting all the they're cutting all the arts and humanities programs mm-hmm. pretty much. They've they've doubled the price, so it now costs more in Australia to do an arts and humanities degree than it does to do computer science, um, and that's purely ideologically driven from a poli- yep. political standpoint of the right wing government there. Mm-hmm. And it's meaning that basically universities are starting to shut shutter um, programs like linguistics, mm-hmm. like, languages, sorry, and. Um, um, various arts, humanities. So there's some weird exceptions, like fine art and stuff are an exception, but like things like art history and stuff like that all come in. Yeah, it's all – and archaeology actually comes into this as well. So it now costs more to do an archaeology degree than it does to do a computer computer science degree, despite That's the fact that – Placing them only within the grasp of certain people. Exactly. And this is what – like antiquarians. <laughs> oh, really? Does this – does this t- oh, is this a good segue? Let's do it. This then. is a fantastic segue. Can I can I I just want to finish up though the, the, yeah, the crunch yeah. thing. Because we'll like to- Yeah, Cyberpunk, I mean, I really want to play it because I really want I want to enjoy that C D project ready kind of like like I love the outputs that they have. Yeah. But I'm extremely critical of the company. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this is like um this is that question. Can you enjoy something when you are very critical of either the people that create it or the people that um, or, or some or aspects of it, right? So let's say they may have some questionable design choices, and yes and no. Yeah, like the uh, racism and Wildstar and the uh, problematic. Uh, yeah, and Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling, right? Yeah, and and Harry Potter and and J.K. Rowling, right? No. I mean, yeah, exactly. So I mean, so yes, sort of, and not just J.K. Rowling, but also like. Mm. JK Rowling <laughs> like oh my god um like it's anyway, bad enough that you've stolen indigenous stuff and been like oh yes that's mine now this will be the american stuff uh and also being a huge turf yeah so yeah. many bad things yeah no we don't like turfs on this podcast um so yeah anyway um but yeah so 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 this is this is the thing right and i think it's it's one of those things where um it's a really good. It's a really difficult, meaty thing because it's quite contextual. It really depends on what really it is. Facts. So, for example, yeah. So, for example, um, 
with uh, the CG Project Red stuff, I mean, the classic answer to those sorts of questions is, well, you could pi- pirate it, right? And and then nobody's winning anything mm-hmm. <laughs> except for you um, getting to play the game but without giving money to the creators, right? right? But then, of course, the people who do create it still, like, they still work. They they work their asses off for it, right? And so they actually do deserve something from it for their labor. So how, yeah, for their labor, right? So you you what you what you will ultimately the ideal um, situation is that you're able to essentially pay the people that created it for their labor, but you don't want to encourage the company to continue with practices like crunch. Yeah. And the only way that there's not really any way that you personally can kind of do that except to support things like unionization mm-hmm. in games um and there's not really a lot that you can probably do if you're not in games industry yourself um but also certainly um ex- you know um making your concerns about this sort of labor practice known to cd mm. project red is probably worthwhile yeah. and i mean if you um yeah and i think i think that's probably the best way to do it because you don't want them to like necessarily shut up shop you just want them no. to get better at you just want their good shop employers. to be a place that's you know a nice place to work yeah and i mean the other thing is to try to if you live in poland or something you know where they where they where they are mm-hmm. is to write to your local politician and get them to be regulated in some way more more effectively so that's the other way that you can kind of go about it but that's really only a short list of people <laughs> who can right. actually have any effect of this Impact, so it's, yeah. it kind of sucks and that's yeah. just that's late stage capitalism isn't it Tia? yeah that is that is i <laughs> i was i was uh we were talking earlier about how i'm, I'm going to be doing a, a tiny talk uh and uh, I, I will be referring to the period that we're living in as late capitalism. Um, like it's <laughs> hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully well, late yeah, exactly. Hopefully, late capitalism. And- but anyway, let's talk about antiquarianism because this is all back. We're back to the capitalism thing, which is back to the the, the high cost of getting archaeology degrees, which comes back to antiquarianism. Yeah, if, if we if we make those things more inaccessible, they will only be accessible to the elite, to the people who are the most privileged and that is certainly been my impression of antiquarians historically so it's um explain what an antiquarian is because like just you know that that's not a fam- word i'm particularly familiar with it- except in terms of things like antiquities so is it it's old things stuff. okay <laughs> so um antiquarianism is a for the most part, it's a Renaissance conception. It's been influenced by classical themes. And the ideas really are kind of, you're looking you're looking at the past, a romantic vision of the past, generally, by using things. Um, and you do want to get at facts. Um, some antiquarian uh, scholarship, I will call it, um, is quite detailed. Um, but they're not necessarily concerned with a, a theory or a, a narrative or even the impact on the present. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it's a very kind of archaeologists and historians um, who m- m- get on at the very best of times uh, but have negative perceptions of each other, both <laughs> have quite negative 
um, ideas about antiquarianism. So, but neither of those disciplines can disentangle themselves from it completely. It yeah, is- because you sort of like, I mean, it's it's really, I mean, if I think of that sort of thing, I think of like all those stereotyped depictions of, of archaeologists as going to get of the. Course. Yeah, you know the the Holy Grail or or right. finding the lost mask of some pharaoh so, or something, right? But and the focus is on objects from a time rather than trying to reconstruct aspects of human and non-human experiences of that time using an analytical method of your choice. Um, so uh, I'll start. I'll start from the beginning. We'll start from from archaeology and kind of my interest in this particular system in Elder Scrolls Online. So because that's where this conversation comes from is sort of me critically dissecting somewhat the antiquity system in ESO. Um, I am still playing ESO along with other things, but everyone has a different idea of what archaeology is in a game. Uh, There are whole franchises like Tomb Raider, right, which you could argue is much more kind of antiquarian perception. And of course, Spelunky, which deserves mention particularly um, not only because of its terrible racist caricatures, but also because it does feature turkeys that you can ride. Um, (gasps) I know, poultry and motion. I went to the Um, zoo today and I saw an African hornbill and I thought of you. Lovely. They look like dinosaurs. Anyway. Uh, anyway, it's it's these fantasy archaeology ideas. Um, and pretty soon Minecraft will have it. Uh, watch this space. But I have to say it's it's quite uneven ground in MMOs. And one of the sort of sadly most laughable for me could have easily been the most interesting because of the setting. And that was in Star Wars The Old Republic, which consisted of mining different colours of crystals to put in lightsabers and things, and occasionally a bit of a so-called relic. And if there are any archaeologically inclined listeners, you can probably easily agree with the expert summary critique provided by my colleague, Dr. Stara Newstead. That's not fucking archaeology. <laughs> That's so her. Yes. Um, A couple of paxes ago, um, you know, when when life was life, um, there were rumors about how ESO might get its own archaeology type skill line or discipline. And that feels like another lifetime um, and makes me feel like I've been playing ESO for too long, maybe. Um, Makes me miss Boston and packs and having things like friends. Um, But the orientation of the idea had been tracking down sort of super shiny, interesting, possibly exotic things and and taking them um, with excavation being involved in some way. And I distinctly recall uttering the following words, oh, please don't call it archaeology. And someone said, well, what would you call it? And I said, well, I don't know. (laughs) It's like going around nicking stuff and yeah, antiquarianism. And I didn't really think about this too much. And I will never know for sure if someone was listening to me in that crowded moment, uh, surrounded by thousands of other jet-lagged, giddy, unslept, highly caffeinated humans under conditions that are distinctly non-COVID safe. But it came. And I saw. And it was interesting. So if you guys remember Indiana Jones, right? Archaeology is the search for facts. No, actually, that's antiquarianism. Um, Archaeology actually wants to get at what happened. But antiquarianism, um, like I said, is looking at these things, these objects, decontextualized. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's specifically tied to finding out about the past, especially the oldest possible past, as opposed to just looting. I'm going to take a moment here and just mention that there are some class lenses here. If you are not a gentleman 
removing things from an ancient site or recovering things. I was going to um, say, usually you're rescuing them, you are, right? Yes, yeah. and you are looting sites to survive or to get stone to build a shelter, then you're a looter. Mm. Which is crap, really. It's never okay to destroy an archaeological site, but the morality foot switch here has always really kind of galled me. Um, antiquarianism is often considered, uh, viewed as a sort of amateur practice. It's a little like being a volunteer archaeologist, getting into it as a retiree. Or in Pretty the- much how all of the like the British Museum and all the museums in 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 Britain oh, yeah. filled filled themselves up, right? Say, I have something to say about that. I was going to mention it later, and um, but but definitely, what I would say, yes, yes, the British Museum. Oh my goodness, yes. Um, go and find James A. Caster's comedy sketch on the British Museum. It's only like three, five minutes long. It's not big, but they he has the very. Um, uh, I trying to trying to remember what it is. It was basically like. Um, I can't remember at the minute, but it's basically like finders, keepers, fuck off or something like that. It's, it's very much, uh, yeah, but it's so I'll keep talking. Um, I suppose antiquarianism as an amateur practice, like you could be a volunteer archeologist or get into local history as a retiree or in your vanishing moments of free time, rather than a privileged old white man with lots of time on his hands. You could argue that antiquarianism is to archeology span kind of what fossil hunting is to geology in terms of you might have been able to get at something like the age of the earth. Um, But fossil hunting now is about finding things for people's private collections and museums. And the objects are only a means of informing about the past. Um, I can't say how awkward it feels to be working my nostalgic way through Star Trek The Next Generation and being faced with Picard's at best amateur and at worst (laughs) antiquarian fascinations. Like Dr. Beverly Crusher being like... I'm sure the experts at the conference will be very interested in what you have to say, Jean-Luc. No, they wouldn't. You'll be like that guy who would always come to the Southwest Archaeology Conference and talk about how kivas are obviously grain silos. Like, nobody <laughs> would want to hear you. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I have a similar thing with armchair philosophers, right? Yeah, so like right. The, you know, the, someone who's come, who thinks they've, they've, they've thought up the theory of universalism and more in morality or something like that. Oh, and that, you know, and it, <laughs> no, yeah, like I'm, yeah, I'm no, no. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, and antiquarianism um, can be confused with a lot of things. It is it is a confusing thing. You, you People have written lots and lots of, you know, volumes, I'll say, on this. Um, I say volumes because I want to be very inclusive. Um, but it's not to be confused with antiquity, the scholarly journal, uh, archaeological periods of a classical nature, such as late antiquity. It is to be confused with the Society of Antiquaries for good reasons. But if I'm ever going to talk about the game, I need to leave that alone. <laughs> um, some links to... Some link, and this is something that I find really... Um, I haven't reflected on this in a good amount of time, but the emergence of antiquarian practice, um, definitely a Renaissance idea, but it could go back much further um, to the Romans. Um, and about like, and people again have written about how Cicero could be considered an antiquarian, um, which is probably a bit anachronistic. Um, but with my wow. ethics hat on, I definitely think of antiquarianism as an explicitly colonial practice. Um, and yes, um, you know, thus your mention of the British Museum, that's spot on. Like, some of that behaviour is old, and it's not necessarily an anachronism. Have you been to Rome? Mm-hmm. It's famous for its obelisks. What they stole from Egypt. Yeah. 
and but the pejorative framing of kind of antiquarianism is 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 relatively new um and like i said the the, the best summary of it is probably uh, james a cast is British Museum sketch. I found um, that, by the way. I'll it, stick it in the show excellent, notes. Excellent. Um, so there were like real people um, who you can think of as as following this antiquarian ideal. Um, Paul Zanius is a good example. Um, he's a second century AD traveller, geographer, living through the times of Hadrian, Antonius Pius and Marcus Aurelius. He wrote Geography of Ancient Greece. He toured Greece, went to Delphi and Athens and talked about their former glory. Right. So we now imagine somebody in the second century AD talking about the former glory. So he's done a historical geography kind of. Um, And he's widely. It's nice to know that it's always like things were always better back then, isn't it? Right. Like it doesn't matter when you are. It was always the good old days. I want to say, yeah, like, so uh, Christian Habeas, who's the the storied uh, epigrapher of ancient Greek who edited um, modern version of of, uh, Pausanias' text. wrote um in general he prefers the old to the new the sacred to the profane there is much more about classical than about contemporary greek art contemporary in the second century right more about temples altars images of gods than about public buildings and statues of politicians some magnificent and dominating structures such as the stoa of king atalus and the athenian agora rebuilt by homer thompson or the etc of herodes atticus at olympia are not even mentioned so even in the second century, antiquarians were like, oh, the golden era, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, these themes of privilege, of wealth, of this sort of invasive curiosity and obsession with probably someone else's past. And this is also where it can get political, right? Is the past private property or is it owned by everybody? Is it somewhere in between? So, can go I ahead. Just stop for a second because my baby is screaming and I think I need to go and help him. <laughs> no problem. I can definitely I wait. If- All right. So my baby is back asleep again. That was um, fun. He's teething. He's teething at the moment. So oh. normally he would be still asleep for another, at least another hour. But um, teeth are Teeth nasty. are legit the worst. Yeah. He's got, mm. he's got his, it's his ninth tooth coming through. So he's one of his little canines. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's not fun. Yeah. No, anyway, no. I, I I distracted your lovely train of thought oh, there don't, about don't worry about terrible it. I, people I, I stealing things because because I'm degenerating. You know, the world has space for all of us, and so <laughs> yeah, it's actually um, nice that we can have this sort of like. I don't know. I th- feel like we've been doing this podcast long enough that the people who actually listen to us vaguely know us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably like, oh, what are they doing now? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think what was I doing? Oh, yeah. So uh, antiquarianism can can be loosely defined as as a um, an object-oriented um, uh, pursuit of the past. Um, I was going to say method of historical inquiry. Yeah but we don't want to upset the historians. If you do want to know about um, historians and what they think about antiquarianism and things, you could definitely do worse than reading what um, Rowy Sweet at the University of Leicester has to say about that because she's done quite a bit of work. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, an antiquities are basically old decontextualized things. Um, and it, it's, uh, like I said, there's there's this... Uh, class line between the sorts of things which are looted 
from sites with little kind of scare quotes around them, inverted commas, looted, and then you have things which are recovered or, you know, whatever. Uh, they're, they're taken for study for science, etc. Uh, or rescued in the case of what the Elgin marbles, I think they talk about how they rescued uh, them, don't they? Uh, mm, because, of course, yes. Greece wouldn't have been able to look after it themselves. Oh. Yeah, no, they're in, they're incompetent, and right, and in the words of James Acaster, "Finders keepers, shut up." <laughs> uh, but, so I remember, I was like, "Is finders keepers something?" Oh yeah, shut up. Uh, but right, so ESO um, antiquarians. The first thing I noticed uh, was that becoming a member of the Antiquarians Guild is not exactly steeped in theory or narrative, uh, which is exactly right, I guess. Uh, you rock up, you learn the fundamentals in the courtyard of the guild, and you leave. Like, oh, wait, that's a little bit more than I would expect, actually, because in the real world, you just have to have some money and it's some spare time oh, and a bunch yeah. of people who are happy to haul shit around for you, right? Right. But, I mean, remember, you're the, you're the vestige, so, so oh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting. I do have some more commentary to uh, on members of the guild, but we'll get to that. But it doesn't take you very long. Like, If you're the kind of person that likes to listen to everything that the NPCs have to say, then it will take you maybe five minutes. This is in pretty heavy contrast to you, the Fighters Guild, the Majors Guild, um, and it's less involved than the Sigics Guild because the Sigics requires you to kind of have a lot of face time with them and um, go to certain places and do certain things. This doesn't have those kinds of requirements. Basically, go, enjoy your looting. Um, but um, so how uh, – the big pull for me for a system like this is that you get – stuff to decorate with. I love to decorate in ESO. Um, it's probably one of the main reasons that like it, it has such a, a, a sound longevity for me is that I can actually use it as, as an outlet for creative freedom. I used to draw a lot and things and and with the progression of, of my EDS, that's not been possible. Um, and it took me something like seven weeks to make a very simple drawing of a machahuitl for a, a friend's campaign, which is... Um, I should actually just stop talking about that um, for the sake of time. But drawing is very, very hard for me and it's extremely painful. Um, so I like to decorate and you can get exquisite statuary and thrones and really nice things with, uh, with this, right? Which is what nicking stuff's all about. Why nick? You wouldn't nick the crap stuff. You would, you would take the nice do you like dig this stuff up in the game? Like, yeah. Okay. So that's a great question. I'll I'll stay on track. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm just wondering because, like, you know, exquisite thrones and things. How and do like, you find your yeah. shiny ruby dragon skull or your priceless tapestry? How do you know about the pass through it? Because they do have a mechanic for that, and there is no satellite imagery or old maps or elevation models or overheard conversations in the ethnic foods aisle. Are uh, there uh, are there maps with X's on them? No. Um, so you start out by scrying. Um, mm. So for some My grandmother things, used to do that. She had a, like a little crystal on a string, oh, yeah. and it would point in the direction of whatever it is. You, she she was a water diviner, mm -hmm. which is quite useful when you live in a, a very yeah dry country. It's a um, similar idea to kind of dowsing, yeah. Hmm. Um, but but it's um in the game. It's a puzzle mini game. Um, not <laughs> it's like remnant decryptions in Mass Effect Andromeda in that I am the oh. only one who likes doing it. <laughs> 
but I, I really liked enjoyed them, them too. I had a great time with them. But where you can do a little bit more work in game if you fail a bit, and you can do quite a lot more work in the game if you fail a lot. So you can you can only scry in the zone of the game where that antiquity is found. Um, they are always only found in one zone, which is of course a bummer. It's, an, it's annoying, but I get why it is from a game design point of view. Um, and you may end up with two or three or more areas to survey like within that zone. There's no actual survey um, once you get to the region of the zone you scry. You either have to add your scrying tool to your quick bar, which is not as convenient as it sounds, or you ride your twinkle pony all over the place if you're just not sure if you're in the right area, which is generally what I choose to do. Now, this is not unlike a landscape archaeologist looking at an arid environment like most of North Africa, working from journal entries written by French or English travellers to map historic sites onto satellite imagery. This site should have a tower and a fortified centre, but this person says it's only half a day's journey, and based on their previous timings, either they're wrong about the time, they're wrong about the name, they're wrong about the starting area, or all three. So sure. <laughs> You ride your twinkle party pony all over creation and you throw a party when you finally find your glowing lump of dirt and off you go. Then the fun. Oh, the dirt, the dirt glows. The That's dirt quite glows. useful. The dirt only glows, like properly glows, if you're really good at the skill line. But um, for me, the dirt glows. Not for everybody does the dirt glow. Only for the privileged. <laughs> um, so anyway. For whom the dirt glows. For whom the dirt glows. Yeah, so you, you have, um, then you do have excavation, like you said. So you dig things up. Now, before I get into this, I will say, you aren't literally excavating a throne or a tapestry. Like, this is this is a bummer because I think that would be fun. Um, usually you're excavating a container, a, a, a chest or a crate or a- I was you gonna know. ask, how does the tapestry survive? Cause I know quite a bit about textiles. Oh, yeah, no, fiber just doesn't survive very well. I mean- uh, Especially not in dirt. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's stored in something. Everything is stored in, in, everything, in, in something else, which is of course 100% not accurate. Uh, there are a few things which aren't stored in something else. Um, like armor designs and things like that, where they're just like, you know, a book. And you're like, oh, cool. I'm sure this survived just fine. But again, it's not archaeology. It's digging up fun stuff. So you have different tools to dig up the fun stuff. You have your scrying tool, um, a trowel, very archaeology, and a shovel, which is mostly not very archaeology. Um, and you get different abilities with the tools as you level up, much like the dirt glowing. Um, Can I ask no about the shovel? Though. Sorry, can I ask about the shovel? Sorry, just, yeah. just, just. Can you just fill us in on why the shovel is not very archaeology? Because how do you get to the, like the bit that you need to get to? So I said mostly not very archaeology. Um, there are many different tools that people use depending upon the environment and the soil that you're working in, um, and and what you're doing. If you're removing wallfall, you need you need heavier equipment. Um, but uh, for the most part, if you're excavating something that you suspect is quite delicate, um, or if you're in um, an indoor space, um, like inside a house or something like that, or, a, you know, you would definitely, uh, you know, not just be digging away using a shovel. Um, shovels do have their place and, and you can use them for things, but, but it's, it's not a, you always have a trowel. Um, and you might use different tools in different places, but you always have a trial. You also usually have mattocks, um, which are for kind of, um, again, heavy stuff. Um, and, you know, working through like boulder clay and things like that, which is just miserable. Or getting turf um, off stuff. Right. 
Um, there's other things that you can use for for clearing, but the you're right. Like there's usually a variety, and here you have two things. Um, but no matics. Oh. Um, sadly, there is no skill level at which you are prevented from, say, going straight through a Byzantine era floor with your shovel or maticking through the cranium from someone unexpectedly buried in wallfall. <clears throat> These descriptions bear no resemblance whatsoever to the experiences of any archaeologist I know, living or dead. <laughs> But what I mean is that along with being able to dig bigger holes as you get better, sure, until you pass the age of 30 and your back is done forever, even if you have collagen that works, you should also get a better sense of where the edges are of the context you care about. Like in game terms, I would think that that would mean that you do less damage to that priceless was name when you mess up um, because you can damage it if you aren't careful. So I, I like that. That's fair enough. Um, the biggest beef I have with the whole excavation system, um, apart from the fact that everything is intact and all that stuff, is easily that all the pits have the same exact stratigraphy and all of the bottoms of all of the pits are completely flat and all of the goodies are always at the bottom of the pit. Okay. Well, look, look, Tyr, things are always in the last place you find them. The, the things are always in the bottom of the pit. It just makes yeah. sense, right? You dig a pit um, and then the bottom of it is your thing. Ah, so I understand, like, like in the real world, right, the bottom of the pit has to happen sometime, as you say. But it's arbitrary. It's always at the same level. And the things that you want are always at the bottom. This isn't fruity yogurt. This is dirt, thank you very much. And why not have giant toenail clippings or a surprise few coins near the top and something more awesome further down? Like maybe even have mm. old stuff at the bottom and new stuff at the top. I know that's a, you know, challenge. That would actually idea. require to have <laughs> like some idea of the history of the area, right? So, so yeah, so history does come into it. So when you dig up a thing, you get between one and usually three, you can have more than that uh, from time to time from your um, <clears throat> fellow antiquarians back in Western Skyrim where the guild is. And this is where the experience actually most closely fits with kind of how I view antiquarianism. Um, so A, they're focused uh, very closely on facts and mostly don't agree, accurate. Uh, they often comment on cultures which are not their own, often regardless of whether or not they have any expertise on them, accurate. Um, and they focus very closely on finding the history in the thing rather than considering the context at all which is important in contrasting this to archaeology, in that context is everything. Where something was found is what was found. Mm. So I think there's... You, you don't just find it like a jug or a, a plate or something. You find a house with a kitchen, with a like um, a space for eating and cooking, and these are the things that are part of that space sort of thing. So sure. I mean, that's... That's what you would be trying to reconstruct, right? Was getting an idea of like this is where the hearth is, and we can tell this because we have an ash lens at this place. But that that ash lens is a context, um, and oh, you date that particular ash lens. So when we say context is everything, it it actually has kind of a dual meaning in a way. Like it literally refers to that particular event or kind of packet of time. Um, which it would be of, of variable duration, or, or you might not know that at all, but you know where it is in relation to the rest of the other packets, I guess, in the strategic. Oh, so it's, so it's actually like a, essentially like a layer of dirt that contains that stuff in it, which 
is kind I mean, of yeah. like across a space, not it just could be other things. Yeah, it, it might yeah. not necessarily be across, but it but it represents that sort of bit. It could be a layer, it could be a, a floor, it could be the fill of a of a of a pot. Because um, quite, I mean, so growing up in Australia, a lot of the things that we would find, like that, you know, when we would be taken on kind of um, uh, excursions to um, Aboriginal sites, right, and a lot of the things that we would be shown were things like middens, okay, and um, middens were usually in the areas that we were visiting, they were used over thousands of years because yes. that's where everyone shell, threw shell rubbish in, in the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest are much the same. They're, yeah. they're a huge, yeah, very- and they were actually showing how they could they they could show the uh, sort of the evolution of various like critters through mm. the remains of the middens. And so I'm thinking yeah. like each of those is almost like a I'm like I'm thinking dinosaur periods, right? But like it's probably not that like, <laughs> quite it, that long be, time. But <laughs> right, we much more finely grained than that. But but also very difficult. Middens are, are very. Yeah, like they're, they're their own There are archaeologists yeah, yeah. who specialise completely in them. They're really um, and there cool. are kind of zooarchs who special completely in in sort of mollusks and, and things like that that, mm. that work on these things. But but you're absolutely right. Like the in terms of of the principles, it's that so you had like the context of it being a midden, mm-hmm. and then you also have the context of each layer, meaning literally that particular yeah. bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and how that bit relates to all the other bits. So. Mm. That's so. That's something that I I found very interesting. But in a way, by not by not kind of considering that, they are kind of capturing the essence of antiquarian practice in a way, because there's you know it doesn't matter what the context is. What matters is that you dug a hole in the ground um, and, and you found a thing at and the you found a the thing, um, and the thing is worth money, um, and the thing is worth information. Uh, right. Do they do anything cool with that? So, I mean, like, you know, the recent, um, like, issues with uh, Facebook sales of, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Syrian um, antiquities, I guess, is probably the best way to oh, describe God. it. Like, yes. do they do anything like that with it? Like, do they com- do they use it as a, as a kind of critical point to comment on that sort of practice? No, I really wish they did. There is There are so many... There were so many possible doors in this. Like, I also would have quite liked it if you could have, even if you could have, um, you don't, you don't get those opportunities, which is disappointing. You, you don't get kind of quest, uh, you, you don't get sort of mm. game quests or anything like that. It, it's all kind of independent from any kind of interpretation or or story, which is a bit disappointing because, after all, one of the reasons that you want to know where the thing was found and and where the thing was found is what the thing is right like that could tell you something like finding something that you might not expect would tell you something about an ancient relationship right mm. and even an antiquarian would recognize that in fact they would definitely be like oh well, what's the sumerian thing doing in this place whereas this the chance for that mm. isn't really available do they give you like um, so? So you said about how there were like notes from other historic, like antiquarians. Oh, yes. Right. Um, does that does that tell you what like 
what the thing is like is or does it does it sort of because i know often in video games you get a new item and there's immediately a load of backstory with the item when you read the description right and the idea of kind of reading descriptions or the lore of the game it's almost like the 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 the, the history or the philosophy or whatever it is of it pops into your head right mm-hmm. is there a, a better do they do that better with these items they do i think it you know so it's 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 all it's basically done as you are watching in, as it were, on correspondence um, between other guild members. You don't contribute your own. You don't make an interpretation. Whatever they interpret is the interpretation. It's almost um, like a um, what do you call it? Um, an appraisal type thing. A little bit, yeah. And sometimes it's about when it's dated to. Sometimes it's about what the object is. Um, But you're almost always digging up an entire object. Um, So basically they have an argument about um, every time you dig up a a new version of that object, you sort of get another bit of that correspondence between... Also, you can dig up multiple ancient... You can dig up multiples of some of them. Some of them you can only dig up one. But some of them you can. You can dig up several of them and, and you get different pieces. Am I right in assuming that everybody has the possibility of digging up the same item? Yes. Like, so there's not just one Sumerian throne or whatever no. it is, like, no. per game. One yeah. throne okay. of the I Self King or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, he actually really had a lot of thrones. Yeah. So many thrones. <laughs> um, I mean, he does. I mean, everybody's different. Um, but, but the. <laughs> The the thing, yes. So that would be cool. I mean, that would actually be kind of cool. I I like the correspondence going on around it. I I, having the idea of having unique things is nice, and and certainly there are things that are very difficult to get. There are things that you can excavate lots of pieces of and put it together. I still don't have my Duemo wolf mount, which I'm salty about. But the wait, you can dig up a wolf mount. Oh yeah, you can dig up all these pieces of a Duemo wolf mount, like gears and bits, and and you know put it together. Oh, mechanical. I was like, it's like some sort of weird undead dinosaur or something oh my goodness the opportunities for digging up bits of bones i can't believe they didn't do it but bones they like didn't? in like in not yet they might you you never know what they've got planned like i'm hoping that i'm hoping that this gets to be a little bit more interesting because there are opportunities so um the one of the more challenging things is constructing a music box so you can get three different pieces of a music box. And because these things are high quality, they're made of high valuable materials and, and they're, they're very old, right? They're antiquities in and of themselves. People uh, keep them in places like lockboxes. So in order to get, in order to get the pieces, um, to get the lead that will allow you to find the pieces. So uh, some things you can just scry for, depending on where you are. Some things, in fact, most things, you need what's called a lead. So you need some information before you can scry. And finding the leads can be really quite difficult. Um, and I just opened hundreds of lock boxes trying to get, you know, um, <laughs> this particular You're basically bit, trying to find this the, music the tre- and then you the put treasure the music map with the X. You put it in your house and it makes beautiful music, which is very satisfying. Sorry, I didn't nice. hear part of what you said. Um, I was saying, so you actually are literally looking for pretty much the treasure map with the X on it. Effectively, but hmm. you, but it's you don't get that literal thing. There are treasure maps with X's on them in 
Elder Scrolls Online. Um, it's not like that. It's a little bit mm. more subtle. You get kind of, when you do look at your map to find out where you need to go. Oh, uh, so it's more like the um, the journey yeah. from here took three days and, and you know, it, it described like this and, and that. More there like is your, not yeah. an aspect of it that's like that. So you know it's in an area, in a glowing area, and you can get more precise with, within that area. But it's... If you don't scry very well, then you might have sort of three regions in a zone that you have to kind of look at and eliminate those possibilities, right? Mm. So yeah, uh, let's come back to the class thing. You were talking about that. You wanted to mention about the class of some of the, the guild members. Right. So these guys basically sit around all day studying stuff. Um, and it's Gentlemen. It, Are they all guys? Right. Yeah, so this is this is the kind of thing, and some of the things like the the ultimate reward, like if you do all of the, if you find all of the antiquities of a certain level, shall we say, um, in all of the zones, then you get the ultimate reward, which is a shiny coal gold coin worth one hundred thousand gold in game. That's literally the best possible thing that you can get is more wealth, which in a way is fine, but in a way is a little disappointing because wouldn't it be cool to have like a particularly interesting bit of lore? Um, yeah. hmm. The members of the guild are, they tend to be, you know, this, they're depicted as this sort of gentleman scholar type people. Um, and I say gentlemen, they are not all men. Um, in fact, you, most of the correspondence you have um, is with a, a couple of women. Um, and one of them is an imperial, one of them is a Breton, one of them is um, a high elf. So one of the members of the Antiquarians Guild, a high elf named Amelian, is a wheelchair user. Um, I was really excited to see this. Uh, many of my people use them and I am increasingly reliant on mobility devices myself. So I was really thrilled to see her in game. Um, and it was just kind of like normal, like she's just as good as the rest of them, respected or scorned just as much as any other. Um, and then I started kind of noticing what she wrote about when she's doing this correspondence about the objects. Mm -hmm. And... I found that her identity was really wrapped up in what she can and can't do. And that, so there's a dance that you can scry for in Somerset, which I was delighted to find. So this is where the system really shines and engages the player because you're not necessarily just digging up stuff. You can learn things from what you dig up, which I really, okay. I really like. You can learn to make new armor. You can learn how to do a dance. And now you, then your character can do this sort of fancy pants, um, high elf dance. Um, why not learn a dance from something you excavate? Sure. Um, and Amelian is the antiquarian who gives you feedback on it. And she kind of refers to greasing the axles on her chair or something, which is okay. I mean, certainly you can definitely dance using a wheelchair. Good. Then I came about a across a reference to her not being able to make it to Clockwork City. And that made me kind of sad um, because I thought, well, I mean, wouldn't you like to see her go to Clockwork City and get like an awesome kind of clockwork chair like wouldn't that be super and then there's another where she says um like one day she's talking about this thing called the doom crag and she wants so badly to kind of study the ruins on top of it and one day she'll convince someone to carry her up to it and i'm just thinking oh, that's so sad dude, dude you i'll carry you up 
<laughs> I'll carry you, Amelian. Um, but also, like, wait, I I would like to see Amelian ascend the Doom Crag in her clockwork wheelchair. Wheelchair, yeah. And forged by the god Sothisil. Or even she makes it herself. Like, maybe she hmm. finds plans to this wheelchair and, and you know, like fantasy within a fantasy but it, but it's sort of yeah so narrative writers um yeah. that that idea is free and you are welcome to use it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we here at not just a game you know pride ourselves on the novel thinking that yes um but that's i mean uh, overall um uh, the antiquity system is is good fun i'm glad it's not called archaeology yeah, I think if that were called archaeology, you would be really cranky. In fact, I bet they, I bet they actually did a little bit of work behind that, and they actually, say, I bet it was is called archaeology in many places in the code. I bet. I think, I think they probably did do some work, and I, I'm glad mm. because it's a much, you know, the idea of antiquities antiquarianism is is a much, it's a much sort of. I, well, I mean, I didn't really know what the difference was until you just explained it. So, and well, I hung out with you for a while. Idea, right? An object-oriented approach to the past. Like, I think that's what I said earlier. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That kind of encapsulates this. Um, and archaeologists are very oriented toward objects, um, sometimes vanishingly small things like pollen. But still, um, we work on material culture, and um, this does have a relationship to archaeology as it does to history um so yeah. yeah well that's so cool that's really interesting i mean thanks like i mean I've, I've actually learned quite a lot just it makes me want to just play eso just so i can fiddle around with it to be honest but i, I don't want to get into eso so i know you don't which you know if you ever if you ever want to i ever yeah i know but we're on different we're on different time zones my friend i know yeah, but still. Uh, yeah, I know. If you ever did, one day I am there but for it. I think. I think one 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 of the things we might try playing together in the future is um we might check out that Minecraft archaeology, which actually has just come out yeah. what like this week. Mm. Um, and um, we might we might check that out, and we'll come back to you, dear listeners. Uh, yes. Or we might even make it a little YouTube video, and you can watch us do it. Um, <laughs> just try not to be super self-conscious about what well, I think it'd be. I think it'd be kind of fun to do a, like a live critique, right? As we learn the system, and yeah. um, you know, I can show you how to make Minecraft go, and then you can go. Oh, oh my yeah. god! So every two seconds. Fact, I have never played Minecraft. It's okay. This is a double thing because at some point, yeah. your Max will be super into Minecraft, and I'm sure yeah. he'd love to play with his auntie Tia. So, oh yes. No, that would be lovely. Um, my yeah. my nephew, uh, my nephew really likes uh, Minecraft a lot. Oh, there you go. You can play with him too, then. So it's good points. Good points, basically. Good points, really. Good points. <laughs> Nothing to lose, but you know, time. Um, well, there's always you know, yeah, yeah, a great yeah. deal of shame and things involved in that, but that's all right. Never I'm, mind. I'm, I have no uh, no objections. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that's, you know, we, we might try that in a little while. And the other thing I want to get into at some point is to get back into No Man's Sky because yes. that looks really good now. And we, we started out as kind of founder members of the No Man's Sky Archaeological Survey. Yes. So I'm going to see if I can pull some strings and get. Andrew Reinhardt. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. He's just got his PhD, hasn't he? Well, we'll have to congratulate him on that and invite him to the doctor's club at Not Just a Game. <laughs> Welcome. Good luck. Now, now, that he's finally, now that he's finally joined the elite, um, the privileged oh, yeah. elite. <laughs> <laughs> good old academia um, <laughs> but yeah so i mean that's kind of some things we've got in the plans for the future um if you have any things that you think we should check out um we don't we're not really doing the patreon anymore because um although we appreciated all our lovely patreon people it's actually a real hassle to do the taxes for <laughs> and i spend more money doing the taxes for the like ten dollars a month or something that i get from it than is worth it really <laughs> so yeah um so yeah so i think we're gonna just drop that for now but if you want to um you know hit me up on twitter i'm at katherine flick and tear is sometimes on twitter do you want to yeah i'm very quiet uh, mostly because the nature of my uh current job means it's in my best self-preservation instincts to be quiet as long as as you don't mind me tweeting um pictures of of silly birds at you occasionally which i know you generally like so yeah um i did see that 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 hornbill today really just did make me think of of you though it was a love there's two two lovely hornbills and they really just had they were busy chewing away at bits of bark off logs which was yeah I think they were enjoying themselves. Anyway, that's completely off topic. Off topic. We hope you <laughs> have enjoyed we'll... the multiple off topic ramblings that we have had today. Yeah. And uh, on topic rambling that we have had today. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. Um, I don't think I've got any other shout outs really at this point. Do you have any shout outs? Oh, yeah. I did, I did a PAX panel. Um, it's probably worth oh, mentioning. Yeah. I should probably put that on the website. So if you want to see the panel that I did with um, uh, almost Professor Sebastian Detterding, he's a professor, I think, in November. So almost professor. Um, and uh, Dr. Rachel Coat from uh, Take This. I did a panel on gaming under lockdown. Um, we talked about mental health and the games that we were playing and stuff like that. Uh, that was pretty cool. And that was for PAX Online. Uh, I don't think I've got anything else coming up at the moment um oh i I forgot to mention i was playing among us a lot i was um with uh my phd students in the iggy uh center for doctoral training program and the reason i mentioned that uh, among us is really fun and it's silly to watch and there's lots of really good let's plays you can watch of it but um our center for doctoral training program is looking for phd students and we have an open call for game studies basically um particularly ones that are focused on ai because we have like it's called the intelligent games and games intelligence center for doctoral training we do have um some openings for international phd students so not just uk slash eu students but also there are a few openings for international students and it's a really good four-year program where you get paid to actually do your phd um and yeah if you're interested it's iggy.org like iggi.org.uk or you can hit me up on twitter or whatever so yeah i guess i I, i'm gonna start plugging that more because we've just opened our call for interest on that and i think there might be some people who could be interested or you might know someone who might be interested dear listener (laughs) so yeah (laughs) so yeah anyway that's just some of the other weird stuff that i'm doing cool was there something you want to say Tia, you had your mouth open in a way that made me made me look think that you might want to say something. Oh no, I was just going to uh, tell everyone to uh, you know stay be safe, kind, wear a be mask. calm, be safe, wear a mask, wash your hands, yes. 
don't go to any of Trump's rallies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now I want 